Hello, and welcome to the Meet Your Species podcast. My name is Heath, and today we have another vintage episode from our 2014 film podcasts. This is uh, 2020 now, so this was about six years ago, and uh, our guest today was Drew Benton. Now, Drew Benton, I met through his brother, Luke, and uh, Drew runs a nonprofit called Project Live Love. Now, at the time, they were doing all kinds of really great things in the community. Of course, here in 2020, it's COVID times. I'm not sure what they're doing, but at that time, they were helping lots of uh, homeless people get hospitality training, get them off the street, lots of different projects they were running. So it was really interesting to get to know him because he comes from a very different background than I did. And I hope you enjoy. So without further ado, once again, I give you Mr. Drew Benton. Recording. All right. And... There we go. All right, Drew. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, let's dive in. What uh, <clears throat> let's start with where you grew up and uh, what was your childhood like? And, you know, impactful experiences, that sort of thing. Sure, absolutely. Um, I grew up, I started, well, I was born here in uh, Georgia, actually in Kennesaw, and I uh, grew up though primarily here in the Woodstock and in the Ackworth area. Uh, so I've always been in the suburbs of Atlanta. And uh, I'd say most, uh, one of the most particular things that I can that I think about when I think about my childhood was uh, we grew up in the church and my father was a minister and uh, so every every single Sunday Wednesday for that matter Tuesday nights Thursday nights <laughs> whenever they had a thing going on we were there and uh, my dad um, you know was uh, a leader in the church he was a pastor for many years and then he was also a student minister for many years uh, whenever my older brother and I were kind of coming through our, our student years um, and so, then, so what is a student minister? Just like, yeah, school? sure. Yeah. Student minister is basically they, their main responsibilities is to direct the student, uh, group. And so they would direct different things. My dad was, was really creative. He would do some fun things. Um, we would do a thing called Wednesday night live where we would take our, our Wednesday service and it was designed just for students. And it was more, they would do skits and that kind of thing, kind of a spin off of a Wednesday night or off of Saturday night live kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so anyways, it was, so his primary duties at that time was to, to pastor essentially just the student department. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we, do you want me to flip that light back on? Uh, I'm not really Okay, I don't know if that impacted our, our lightage or not, but. I think we're okay. Okay, we'll move on. Uh, so sloppy again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, so basically, with that, my dad uh, moved us to Ohio for my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Okay. Um, so actually, I was I started out ninth grade at uh, Sequoia High School, which is here in Woodstock, um, and basically then my sophomore year, my dad accepted an associate pastor position at a church in Ohio. Uh, so his primary duties were to uh, really help support the vision of the pastor, and they were going through really kind of a renovation period of the church, and they were sort of helping. My dad's really was helping kind of renovate the church. I mean, actually pick out carpet and you know change it. It's oh wow, so like a, a full overall full renovation. Yeah, it was an older church. Um, it really hit its heyday probably in the '50s, and large church, several thousand people. Um, but anyway, so my dad takes us up there, and um, so that was my my sophomore, junior, senior year were spent there. 
uh, only to graduate college and my parents moved right back to Woodstock. <laughs> and so, uh, so I left college or I left uh, high school there, went to college, and I uh, went to Savannah College of Art and Design, is where I started at. Uh, then I moved from there to I, I always say I did the tour of colleges because uh, I went from there to um, North Greenville College, which is up in South Carolina, and then I actually finished my colleging out at um, uh, excuse me Reinhardt College out in Waleska. Is where I finally got my actual degree. Okay. Uh, and so, anyways, it's uh, we just so, like deciding what you wanted to do. Yeah, it was during a, a time of really trying to figure that out. Uh, initially, I wanted to do art, and so I felt like you know, kind of uh, had an affinity towards these things. I really enjoyed it. I still do artwork to this day, mm-hmm. um, and it just was something that uh, was really a spark for me. But then, then there was a time in my life where. Um, after really my first year of art school, I was kind of, um, I was kind of perplexed about some things in my life as far as I had had this steep, uh, this very deep religious environment that I grew up in, but at the same token, it was like, um, I wasn't sure if that's really where I was going to be spending the rest of my life. And at any rate, there was, it ended up being sort of a conflict in my life where I ended up deciding to go full on in this direction. I ended up going into the ministry. Okay. Uh, and so that's what took me to North Greenville College uh, is I took a year there, or two, two years there. It's a Christian school there, um, and I studied up there. And so then after two years of that, um, I came back and graduated here at Reinhardt because uh, we needed to move near family. I had actually gotten married, and my wife and I needed to uh, be close to family. And, and as we were starting a family of our own and all that kind of stuff, just all the burdens of life that come with it. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that's a little bit of 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 my journey and kind of how, how it got from here to there, that kind of thing. So. Okay. So what about um, specific experiences or people that help shape the way you think? Yeah, um, i definitely say... Um, my my father obviously has been a big one mm-hmm. um both for good and for bad at times uh, there's been times where sure. um his points of view have um we've had definite conflict you know mm-hmm. and uh there's been times in our life where i can definitely very much so see his influence on my life in a very positive way um and so he's definitely he's always had being that he was a minister is a minister still to this day i mean uh, being that that's kind of his background, he had a natural desire to want to serve people, which is something that really rubbed off on me in a major way. And this really kind of helped define my life for what I do today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say my dad was definitely one of the biggest ones. Um, and my dad, beyond that, he also put me in the environments where I could be impacted by other people outside of him. Um, whenever we would, when I grew up, when I was growing up, he would travel and speak at different places and I'd get in the car and go with him. And so I'd meet other influential people and get to um, develop relationships that I never would have had with, you know, how had this man not have been my father and in my life. Um, and then outside of him, I would say there's, there's actually, I'll give you a, I got a, a few here um, is another big one is a guy named John Maxwell. Um, and John, although he didn't directly impact me, um, these are several of his books over here. I've got more than in my library over there of uh, just his writings. He's a leadership author. And what he talks about, his principles for how to lead other people have been just absolutely revolutionary in my life. 
Just um, leadership in general, or like uh, within ministry, or what? it's leadership in general. He is an he is a former pastor. That was his background, mm-hmm. and he initially was teaching towards pastors. That was kind of his gear. But actually, now he's New York Times best-selling author, and he he primarily works okay. in the corporate world and does a lot of different corporate uh, leadership trainings for whether it be individual companies or whether it just be uh, his own conferences that he has and hosts, and then people come out for those kind of things. Interesting. Um, Well, he moved his operations from San Diego to Atlanta, and my dad went to work for John Maxwell. Um, Actually, as a a part of their, part of one of the functions that they would do is help churches raise money. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my dad would help, he would go and sell these campaigns and help churches raise funds. Well, I got hired in the, this is that's a lot of moving components there, but that's all irrelevant to this, is that I got, my dad got me a job there to go work in the shipping room. Okay. Well, um, John writes books and he also does tape series. Well, back in the day, it was tape series and CD series and these kind of things, you know, and you could get what was like the tape of the month club or the, you know, the, the lesson of the month kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, when I started working there, he'd been doing that for years already. So what I would do is while I was in there packing boxes, um, I would take one of those CDs and put it on and I'd listen to it and I'd hear his teaching and learn his principles. And, and then, of course, uh, every Christmas party, they would always give us his latest book and he would sign it for us, you know, and give us the book. And nice. uh, so I got to, um, you know, I would read his books then, you know, and I would get to go to a conference occasionally because they, you know, it was part of that's what he would do is throw conferences. So they would sometimes need some extra people to help out. So I'd get to go to them and. Um, and, and, and I did get to develop a bit of a relationship with John on a personal level. I wouldn't say, you know, like we're, we're strong friends or anything. Him and my dad are actually pretty good buds. Uh, but we did some fun things. Um, like actually he needed way back when he needed some people to, uh, help with his Christmas decorations. Uh, he had a large Christmas village that needed to set up and we would, me and my brother would go do that for him every year. And, uh, so that was just some, we had some personal touches with him as well, but it was primarily more of a mentoring, just kind of a learning as far as a teacher and a, a, a um, you know, just a profound person that's had a lot of, of knowledge and things to impart i'd say that john's definitely been heavy heavy influence in my life Uh, and probably you might find a lot of people in the atlanta area that that he's also uh seen that they move their 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 operations here um that's a big he's probably a big influence in a lot of people's lives um so but beyond john beyond my dad um, I'll very quickly just say these next two is, is, is another one, of course, would be Jesus Christ. I mean, and not from the standpoint, again, of like, I know him, I haven't, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. lived 2000 years ago, but his life and his, um, his model that he left for us and has called us to live is something that's again, been very definitive in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, um, you know, I've, I can talk more about this in a minute, but in my, in my life, I've been through. Being that I was raised in a heavy religious environment, I've kind of been through some progressions of thought uh, that I'm not super hyper, I'm not a hyper religious person by any stretch or any means. Um, But I definitely very much so believe in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that um, that that relationship is what defines me day in and day out. Um, In fact, my mantra, live love, I would say God is love. And because of my relationship with Christ, I now have love in me. And so I try and live that out. I actually try and let God come out of me in very real ways as far as um, uh, not from the standpoint of 
praying for people or from the standpoint of trying to convert people to my faith, but from the standpoint of being kind. Just being a good person. <laughs> being nice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and whenever my father-in-law calls me today and says he can't figure out how to access his Wi-Fi, I go and help him. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that sounds little and petty, but it's those are the little things, you know? It's yeah. like... So it uh, makes people's lives better. That's what's it, you know, and uh, it's doing unto the least of these, you know, um, it's do, it's that having that mentality of wanting to help others and, and to serve others in very real practical ways. And so I think that that uh, mentality that, that Jesus set as an example has definitely been something that, you know, I'll never live up to, but it's definitely something that I strive towards. It's definitely, a, um, he, you know, that the relationship that I have with, with Jesus has definitely been a big, big shaping piece of who I am as a person. So, right. uh, and then finally, and I'll just drop this one as well is, um, I kind of need to connect these dots in my story um, before I throw the last one at you. But I ended up, um, whenever I was I, w- I was a student pastor, I mentioned that. Did I mention that already? That, that I, I actually, myself, after I finished uh, college, actually went on to do a student pastorate of my own. I was okay. I was a student pastor. So I kind of became so, my father. <laughs> happened to yeah. everyone else. That's right. So I was, I would, I would teach every Sunday to the students and every Wednesday. And I would also try and facilitate fun things. We would try and, you know, like we did summer camp every year, these kind of fun things. Um, but after, after I did that for a year, um, I actually went to work for, or I went into a mentoring relationship with a guy named Johnny Hunt. Um, who was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Woodstock, which is again right here in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Large church, five thousand plus members. I mean, it's it, it, on a Sunday morning they'll have, uh, I think probably probably five thousand plus people in attendance. I want to say their membership is even larger than that, ten, twelve thousand, something like that. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I haven't attended there in a while, but um, basically um, at, in two thousand and three, I went and I served with him as in a mentoring relationship where he would mentor one young person that was going to go into ministry or was going to eventually, and the thought was, is they'd become a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that year it was me. Uh, and I went every single place that he went and we literally flew all around the nation. He's a big name preacher, very well, or very sought after. And uh, just once um, a lot of people wanted him to come preach for their services or at conferences at the time he was, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is a big convention in uh, the Christian world. And um, and so that year I flew on private planes. I wore uh, suits that were custom made, custom fit for my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was given a library of $3,000 plus. I ate at the finest restaurants, five-star restaurants from here to there. And after that year, um, and additionally I'll add to that, that same year in 2003, my oldest brother, uh, Adam, passed away. Uh, and which, which was a defining moment for sure, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that to say this is that that year was a huge pivotal moment in my life. And it started putting me on the path of thinking about, do I want to do this? Is this what is this for that matter? Is this what God's calling me to do? Is this what my spiritual journey needs to look like? Is this where, you know, am I supposed to go and stand on stages and preach to people and tell them what they need to do in their life and sing songs and, you know, meanwhile, be a hypocrite from the standpoint of I'm going to go hop on a private plane and go eat at a five star restaurant. Right. You know, and, and I don't give a crap about the least of these. Mm-hmm. All I care about is going to feed my fat face and hang out with these fat friends. You know, like, honestly, I don't mean to say it that way. But like for me, that's kind of what it came down to. And my in my thought process was, um, you know, I don't think this is what 
for that matter, as I read the scriptures and look into the Bible, I don't think that's the way that Jesus wanted us to live. Jesus was a homeless guy. <laughs> He's a wandering hobo, yeah. <laughs> he wandered from town to town and lived at the mercy of strangers. And if you look at that and then you look at this, you have to go, wait a second, Something. what's wrong here? You know, this doesn't fit. Um, so that was a pivotal moment in my life that took me down the process or started the process of, for me of, of uh, what does it look like? What is it that God really wants me to be and to do? What, you know, what is my, what is my relationship with him going to look like? Do I preach and teach the rest of my life or do I figure out what it means to actually be a disciple of Christ and to live out his, his message in a very real means? Um, so all that to say this is that basically from there, I, um, I left the church at that point. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I started running spotlight for, a, a, a production agency, um, cause I just needed a job. I needed to make money. But then I had a family and had to figure out what, how I was going to get through life. Right. Um, well, the first job that I do is for a group called safe house outreach, um, and we run the gala for their, uh, or I'm running the spotlight for the gala that night. Uh, my brother, I believe, was doing sound and was doing uh, other things like that. He actually helped me get this job. Uh, and so there we are, we're in the back of the room, and this guy comes to the back of the room and he goes, he goes, damn it, I just spilled water on my jacket. <laughs> and he has dressed, he's dressed in a tuxedo from here to here, and then he's got jeans from the waist down, and he's got on cowboy boots. Uh, and it's just a hilarious scene, you know, and, and, and I'm just like, who is this guy? You know, like, what is he all about? And uh, he come to find out he's the director at Safe House Outreach. Okay. Uh, and, and just and, to be, what, yeah, what do they yeah, do? Yeah, Safe House, what they do is they serve homeless people. Uh, they'll serve out any given day upwards of two, 300 homeless people, everything from serving them a meal, giving them a, a mailbox where they can receive mail because you think about it, if you're homeless, you don't have an address. Yeah. Um, and you need an address to even just seek basic employment, these kind of things. They also provide um, uh, clothing, hygiene kits, and other basic needs to, to help serve the homeless population uh, here in Atlanta. And so, um, so I meet this guy and, and the thing about safe house is that safe house is a faith-based organization, uh, whereas project live loves not, we'll get more into that in a minute. But, um, although faith is a very defining part of who I am, it's not, um, it doesn't, um, I don't let it limit my perspective on things I accept and believe in, and, and, and I enjoy other people's perspective on their faith, you know, as well. And I try and learn from their stories, but we'll get more into that. But uh, so Philip, but they're a faith-based organization. Well, the guy comes to the back of the room and he says, damn it, I spilled water on my jacket. And it was like a breath of fresh air went through me because it was like, wow, this guy loves God. He loves people. And he just said, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Which for me, it was awesome. Because you don't hear that in the back of the room at the church thing or flying on the private plane anywhere. You know, you just don't hear that authentic grunt of frustration damn it you know it's just like you just we'd rather we'd rather cover it up in plastic yeah, it than, and perfect. that's right and yeah. try and be perfect in some fashion and uh and so his authenticity really drew me in and he was uh, uh we ended up becoming friends i took his card we had some lunches together and then he asked he asked me to come and serve at safe house outreach and i went there and uh helped serve meals one night that all snowballed into me, ended up going to work there full time and I worked there for three years. Okay. Um, and so that was a big chunk of my life and, um, all that to get back to 
the the fourth kind of defining person is while I was at Safe House, one of my jobs was is I would work with student groups that would come in and visit the city, and basically they wanted to serve homeless people in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as a part of that, we would have overnight stays where you could come, and we'd actually facilitate. We had some rooms there, Safe House, where people would stay. Uh, and then I would take people on a city walk where we'd walk around and, and every time we would go, we'd go out and I'd visit the Martin Luther King uh, monument and uh, as well as which is there's a museum there if you've ever been. Um, if not, definitely take advantage of it. Um, but going there week after week, you know, kind of constantly seeing this man's life, reading the quotes on the wall. You can go into this one particular part where you can see his clothes and his uh, his briefcase and his Bible and all these unique things. And, and honestly, I just began to look more into his life and study his life and begin to read more about him and uh, his quotes and just some of his, um, some of the, what he stood for as an individual, particularly in his latter life. I know we know a lot about his, uh, his uh, accomplishments as it, it pertains to civil rights, but he's also um, one of the most definitive people at just of driving people towards the mentality of serving others, uh, whether, no matter what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as I began to read a lot of his things, definitely I'd say Martin Luther, in being local to Atlanta as well, being an Atlantan, uh, is something that I, I initially I identified with as well. Man, this guy's from my city. I, can, I would walk by his childhood home. You know, I can see all of these things and realize this is a real man and made a real difference right from this very place. And uh, so I'd say that that was probably uh, another person that was also very, it has been at this point anyway, very um, instrumental in my life. So, or, or yeah, helps define my life, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. All right. So all that has gotten you to now in the present. So what are you doing right now? Yes. Um, Absolutely. is in the present. Is um, in 2009, I stepped away from Project Live Love. I mean, from Safe House Outreach. Excuse me, to start Project Live Love. Okay. Uh, and the reason being was is that I basically got to a point where um, it was very fun in what I was doing, and the fact that I was introducing a lot of people to opportunities to serve, and that really excited my heart. It definitely became one of my passions. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you think about it, in my own life, as I went through an evolution of thought that landed me of in a place of serving others was really the most gratifying thing for me. It's also, I believe, what it is that, for my faith, what it is that that Jesus modeled and was calling me to do as an individual is to serve others and to, um, as the scripture says sometimes, it says to to reach out to the least of these or to, uh, you know, to provide a cold glass of water for someone who's thirsty and to to clothe them whenever they were naked. And, and, you know, at Safe House, these were things that I actually got to do. Mm -hmm. I got to be a neighbor to people. I mean, what uh, Christ talked about, I was getting to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is, really excites me, man. And then um, it's more than just rhetoric at that point. Yeah, I was yeah. living love. You know, I was allowing the God that was in me to get out of me through very tangible forms of, of, of service of other to other people. Uh, and so that message resonated. And I, I would say that that's where during those years, the terms live love really became uh, definitive in my in my mind, as far as like, okay, this phrase, live love, really defines what it is that I'm all about, what it is that I'm trying to exude in the world. Uh, and so basically, hey, out, 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 a little bit of the water, <laughs> out. For those of you listening, a dog just walked in. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, get out of here. <coughs> Lay down. I just don't want him bumping the cameras or anything. I guess it'd be all right. Yeah, we'll um, 
So, all that to say this is that um, basically I felt the desire to want to open up the change that had happened in my life and, and show that to other people and give them that same opportunity. Um, and so that led me to start Project Live Love. Okay. And uh, Project Live Love, the, the mission statement is we are designed to influence culture through love and action. Uh, we do this by engaging, networking, and mobilizing people who are motivated by love. Uh, it's kind of a big overarching uh, umbrella, if you will, the, the mission statement. The, the big idea is that we're literally trying to change the world with the power of love. <laughs> and I know that sounds cliche, but we actually have strategy and we have uh, means behind of what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, and so the way we go about doing that is uh, kind of uh, several fold is we, uh, for one, we create events where people can come and volunteer their time to go out and serve in the community. They may go to, for instance, Safe House Outreach and serve meals to homeless people that day. They might go to the Furniture Bank of Atlanta and build a table. Uh, they might go to a sober living facility and serve meals to the folks that are living there. Or they might go to Gateway Center, which is another homeless facility, and just uh, serve in the clothes closet or in the, or in the food uh, pantry or different variety of things. But we set up all types of different projects for people to participate in on those event days. Uh, we also actually have what we call the propaganda, which is where we advertise the message of Live Love. Uh, we've created stickers and t-shirts. Let me show you one of these. Um, stickers and t-shirts that just read live love um, that that convey the message if you notice the stickers and t-shirts they don't say project live love they just say live love and we tag these things all over the place they go um, anywhere from uh, the backs of stop signs people put them on their vehicles uh, you might see them in Atlanta on the back of a bar or you might see it on a passing bike uh, just a, they're all over the place in, in Atlanta um, and the goal there go ahead I'll to be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Yeah. The goal there is to advertise the message, is to draw attention towards living love, make you think about living love. Um, again, we didn't put project on there intentionally because we didn't want it to be an advertisement for our organization. We wanted it to be a propaganda, something for you to think about. Um, and then lastly is then we've created different programs that address local needs. Um, these programs range from, we have one called 3 We Go, which is where we go out late at night and we help people that are living on the street make it through the night warm and safe, uh, to what we're about to birth is a program called Get Set, where we're helping homeless veterans find work in the hospitality industry. Uh, we've also got another goofy program that I'll tell you about, but it's more of a, a fundraising project kind of thing. It's a thing called Hair Farmer, uh, which explains the beard and the mustache. Uh, <laughs> is that we're working on a way that men can actually uh, grow their beard for charity. And so uh, we actually have a launch party for that coming up uh, later on this fall. But So uh, how does that work? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, basically, what you'll do is, uh, well, at the launch party is we're going to pass out cards November 1st, and you get a little card uh, you know, no bigger than a business card, but you'd have several of them. And as you grow out your beard, as a man grows out his beard, people look at you and they go, dude, are you growing a beard? You know, like it's just because it's on your face. Right, right. <laughs> There's no getting around it. It's there. Uh, and so when people see it, they're going to make comment of it, especially the longer it gets, they're going to be like, dude, what are you, you going yeah. for? Like a Civil War movie? What's like, going on? What's going on here? <laughs> well, that's the perfect opportunity for you to pull a card out and say, here's what I'm doing. I'm growing my beard for charity. In fact, go online, make a donation in my beard's name. And well, in your beard's name. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. can Because you would have signed up with us. We would actually have you listed as one of our beard participants. I'm trying to get with my brother, who's the who's the tech guru, to see if we could actually create some kind of plug-in where the beards could grow, which would be really neat. Yeah, as you donate, your beard grows and it gets longer. Uh, so I've got him thinking about that. We'll see what we get. But at the very minimum, in this first go-around, because this is just a launch of this program, and we feel like it's going to take off. 
Like people are already telling us from salons, even out of state, that they want to participate. They want to do do this, but we're trying to keep it tight and keep it uh, just to Atlanta as we get it started until we can figure out all the kinks and then we're going to hopefully uh, get it out there further. But uh, basically the thought is, is then you can make a donation to uh, your beard. Then that beard actually um, then basically throughout the growth, we're asking you to grow from November through March for four months. Uh, So there'll be four months of time where people can make a donation. And then in March, we're going to do a live event uh, at Melrose and McQueen, which is the salon uh, and spa that owns, or the salon rather, that um, they have a place down in Inman Park. We're going to block the street right in front of their salon, throw a large party, and then we're going to shave men that day. And uh, this is the kicker. This is the shave men. This is the best part. Is uh, they're going to cut off the beard and then they're going to frame the beard in such a way that they're able to send you home with your beard forever immortalized. That okay. <laughs> that is interesting. So yeah, that's kind of the, the fun aspect of it. And then what we do with all that money is it'll it'll go for for two things. At this point, part of it will help fund Project Live Love, but then we're also going to use a portion of it to create four different service days throughout the year where we can go and cut hair uh, at a place called Mercy care which serves low-income and homeless clientele so we'll be able to go and cut hair at those locations four times a year that's Uh, an Atlantic group uh, mercy care is yeah okay Uh, they are a uh, they are an offshoot of st. Joseph hospital Uh, they basically st. Joe's created a a portion where they could serve low-income and homeless population uh, by and large for free and so they have a foundation of things to help support that uh, that them, but then we're going to come in and, and because they've already got the people there, uh, we're going to just come in and try and bless those people, serve them that day with a free haircut. As nice. many of them, I'm sure, could stand to have, you know. So it sounds like a lot of what uh, Project Live Love does is help organize people with other groups that are already doing things That's and right. make connections. That's right. Is um, I definitely would say this. is Project Live Love, we make, we make volunteering easy. Um, a lot of people will say, oh, I just wanted to get involved somewhere. I wanted to do something, but I didn't know where or how. And, and you can come to an event, and that day you can go out and volunteer somewhere. You didn't have to go through a huge orientation course. You didn't have to get a background check. I mean, it's just that easy. And if you wanted to stay on with some of these groups and you wanted to continue to serve there, then you might have to go through some of those steps. But for that day, at least four times a year, you can come and serve. Very basic, very easy. Um, and then we also, like you say, is we are a huge, we serve as a network, as kind of a resource of, of connecting volunteers to opportunities um, and to, at this point, you know, we're starting to connect um, corporations or, or businesses that have interests and trying to just be as that sort of middle uh, node where all of these network kind of things come together. So I like it. Yeah. So trying to work with uh, local businesses or larger corporations? All of the above. Uh-huh. And it's all with one thing in mind, and that is to influence culture through love and action. Uh, and so that's why I say it gets, you know, you can see that bigger picture once we start to wade through all the smaller things that are going on. It's like, well, how does this all fit together? Well, because it all influences culture through love and action. I like uh, it. So that's what we're about. Yeah. Good deal. All right. Well, so uh, we touched on a little bit, but um, let's just go into more detail of what, from your perspective, as not only a, 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 someone who grew up here in, in Woodstock, uh, but also has experienced other things and had lots of other experiences, what would you say are the largest issues that we're facing, e- either just as a city or country, state, like the planet? Like, wh- what's, what's important to you? For sure. I've got two here. Is, uh, one, obviously, is homelessness. That's been a, an issue that I've been involved in for a long time. 
Um, it started with being invited down there by, by Philip and not having a clue about the world at all to like, I always joke, I always say the first time I went to safe house, I was on homeless man overload. I was just like, whoa, <laughs> white kid from the suburbs, you know? And then next thing you know, I'm in the midst of like predominantly black people and predominantly males and predom I mean, it was just like way out of my context, you know? And, and I remember, I remember back into the wall. And finally, some guy goes, young man, come over here and have a seat. And I went and sat down, and Marlon was his name. Anyways, that's a side sidebar. But um, he, he really helped humanize homelessness for me in a, okay. in a way. But homelessness is always going to be a big issue for me. And um, ever since that, really, that exchange with Marlon, um, Marlon and I even became friends. And I was instrumental in his life, helped him get um, employment. Uh, actually became the best man at his wedding, uh, which was a blast, and uh, helped him in a variety of different ways. Um, but the thing about homelessness is that it's, it's, it's various as the colors of the rainbow. Every person has a different story. It's a very hard thing to work on to just try and create sort of a track and be like, all right, well, oh, you're homeless here. Jump on this track, and you'll it'll spit you off the other side, and you'll yeah. be no longer homeless, and you'll be you know have the perfect life. Right. It's just not that simple. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a very complicated issue, and it's something that I love working on, and I love being a part of. And I'm uh, I've joined um, certain coalitions at the United Way. Um, we so there's things that I'm involved in outside of Project Live Love, and then just interiorly inside of Project Live Love, and really because of that that involvement at the United Way. Uh, the United Way here in Atlanta is trying to solve this particular issue of homeless veterans. Mm -hmm. uh, there's 983 homeless veterans that they know of. And when they say homeless, they mean they're, they're living in a facility. So they know these 983 people are living, uh, whether it's in a um, shelter A, shelter B, whatever it is. They know where these guys are. I say guys, I shouldn't. It's men and women. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically their goal is to get these people back to work. And so through Project Live Love, in fact, we've, that's what the Get Set program is, is we're trying to get these folks, these homeless veterans back to work, uh, in this case, in a, in a hospitality industry, because we know of resources and, and of where jobs are available with that. Uh, but homelessness is always going to be a big issue that, I, that I'll be working on. Um, it's funny because it's one of those things... Uh, it's like if we ever solve it, then we'll be out of a job. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Here's fingers yeah. <laughs> but at the same token, I, we people that are in that arena, we joke about that. So they're like, well, they will, you know, they won't be yeah, out of yeah. a job. Then what do we do? You know. But the thing of it is, it's like in Atlanta, it's um, it's kind of one of these things where it's there's always different phases of it. It's like even once we make a large progressive or pro progression into a into a direction then, well, for instance, a catastrophe will happen and people will come from this town over here and then, mm -hmm. or this will happen. And, and, or as we're seeing now, the veterans are coming home and, and are having a hard time, uh, many finding ways to find employment or get established in, in life again. So they're finding themselves homeless, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's just always these different waves and challenges that'll happen. Um, so anyways, but that's always going to be something that I'm, I'm definitely going to try and work on. For sure. So, so in terms of homelessness, I, you know, I'm, I'm another suburban white kid, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what can you give me or really everybody a, a, a closer view from your experience of what homelessness really is? Like what, what it really do with? Cause I think most people, you, you almost get to a point where you're numb and you're not even seeing them anymore. And like you were saying, like sure. it's just overwhelming because you have to humanize it. So, so help bring us into that world a little bit, what that is. Yeah. Um, I always joke when I say homeless people are just that people. 
<laughs> they are people. And um, meaning that it'd be like you taking me to your family reunion and me going, and prior to that, me going, well, what is your family like? You know, like you can only give me a short snippet of maybe what your dad's character is like and your mom and then your uncle and your brother and all these, you know, these, these people. And that's the thing about homelessness is that they're people. So like when you go to like, for instance, safe house and, and really, uh, Marlon helped humanize it for me. And I'll give you that story as, as an example. He says, young man, come over and have a seat. I sit down with him. And he says, uh, and just just to clarify, who, who was Marlon? Yeah, sure. Marlon was um, basically the first night I ever made it to Safe House. Uh, Philip invited me to come over there uh, after we met at the gala and had some coffee together and things. He said, come visit. I want you to come serve one night. And when you walk up to Safe House, the way that they serve people is they serve them on their way exiting the space. And so everybody comes out into the parking lot and they set up chairs outside where everybody sits down and eats. And um, so what happened is, is, is that you'll have 200, 300 homeless people right out there in the parking lot, sitting in chairs, eating out of clamshells, you know what I mean? Like those, uh, that's what they call them, but the oh, styrofoam cases, yeah, yeah, you know? And, um, and so, you know, I walk into this and I'm just like, whoa, you know, this is crazy, man. I, first off, I've never, I just had never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the amount of people or the... Just what? the amount of people eating out of clamshells sitting on chairs you know and concrete uh the smells the sights the sounds i mean uh everything from people yelling and cussing at each other to uh literally the smells that people their unwashed clothes and the uh i mean when you go into safe house it has a particular stench to this day i mean it just we call it homelessness it just is it has the smell Mm -hmm. uh and then when you see some of the people like um, what happened was for me is I, I just felt like overwhelmed by it all. So I, I just, if you ever had that feeling where you just kind of, you're reaching back for the wall, you know, and I was yeah. starting to back up towards a wall and, um, this guy goes, young man, come over here and have a seat. And it was Marlon. And so I go and I sit next to him and he's eating, he's eating his spaghetti out of his clamshell and he's got a, he walks with a cane. He's a black man. He's probably at the time when we first met, I think he was about 48 years old. Um, and he says, he just says to me, you know, who are you? You know, what's your story? Um, and I just tell him my name's Drew and I'm from Woodstock and oh yeah, interesting. And he starts to tell you vice versa. Who are you? Where are you from? Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, you know, I'm, I'm learning about Marlon and he's this guy from, he actually been released from prison in Alabama. Um, for whatever he had done, he had served his time. He had been released and had nowhere to go. So he grabbed a bus, came to Atlanta. Uh, because Atlanta is a large city. That means we have a lot of resource. Um, you know, if you can imagine if you were homeless tomorrow, you'd want to go somewhere where there's stuff or people and, and, and resources. Um, you know, you maybe not you. Maybe you'd want to camp in the woods. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just because I'm hippie. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'll go for the woods option. But we have that too in Atlanta. We st- but anyways, that's another thing. But um, So but sitting with sitting with Marlon. So then I finally just said, you know what? You want to get out of here? And he was like, yeah, man, let's go. So we went, we hopped in my car and we went up to the rallies and or checkers, I guess it was. And, and we got a burger together because I didn't really want to eat the spaghetti at the time. I just wasn't feeling it. Uh, <laughs> and so we went and got a burger together and we just talked and talked and talked. And we probably talked. I mean, we served dinner there at Safe House about six o'clock. We talked probably upwards till 10, 11 o'clock that night, just learning about one another's lives and realizing. And for me, what it did is it made me realize Marlon's no different than than anybody else. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really knocked down a huge wall for me to be able to see homeless people for just people. Um, whenever I, when I, I don't know what it is or exactly how to explain that, but that when I see homeless people, I don't see their, their tattered clothes or their dirty faces. I see right on into their soul and see them as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not anything that you can really teach somebody or, or convey without experiencing yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that a Live Love event or our 3 we go program it provides for people. Um, if you ever get an opportunity to, or if any of your viewers get an opportunity to, uh, in particular, our 3 we go uh, programs where we go out late at night and we hand out blankets to people <laughs> that are, in fact, living on the street. Uh, so you're face-to-face with someone who's sleeping there in a freezing cold environment. Uh, and, and when you do that a few times, you just there's a human element and it's just a... It's a person. And mm-hmm. so you just, that humanity comes through no matter what. Uh, if you've ever been on a foreign trip and you've gone to another uh, country to try and aid some people in some way, you may find that, uh, you know, you're there um, thinking you're trying to help them. <coughs> and in fact, they end up helping you in a big way because they <coughs> knock down your perceptions of, of maybe what you thought those people were all about. Right. Uh, and so it's kind of just one of those things. It's like a culture. Once you get into it, you, you realize... Uh, a lot of your misconceptions kind of go away. So I don't know if that helps or not. (laughs) No, for sure. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, The more I learn about the world, the more you realize that there isn't just something. It's like you could look at uh, a skyscraper from far away, but the closer you get, the more nuanced there is. There's Mm. like little people on every floor. There's like, it's just more detail. Absolutely. So it's, it's no different finding that gray area. And that's the way homelessness is. And I'd say the closer you get and the closer you get and the closer you get, it's like, uh, and then when you rip out the microscope, it just gets really (laughs) chaotic because every person, because they're all people and they're all dealing with different issues and different things. It's just a really, I, I always say it's, says various as the colors of the rainbow it's not mm-hmm. anything you can just drop someone in on the beginning and boop, pop them out the other side it's just a tough yeah. tough issue so if only. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and it's just like trying to solve i guess for that matter you know uh, i don't know any any major thing that a, that is affecting a large group of people um it, it can be a very difficult thing to solve so anyways um so, uh, so that's homelessness. You said there was one other. Yes, one other. All right, and this is where my uh, my my political side is going to show. Um, right. Is you know honestly, this is a big deal to me. Is the question that um, that you sent me ahead of time was you know what issues are important to you and or do you think deserve more attention? Um, and I think one of the biggest issues that are important to me and should be important to everybody in the United States of America is political involvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm absolutely blown away and baffled out how my generation and below doesn't give a rip. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine not voting. I can't imagine not voting. But yet so many of my friends and so many of the circles I, I'm in don't care. They don't vote. They don't even know who's up to be voted for. Yeah, you know, I think particularly in local, uh, anything local. Particularly local. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I heard today on the news, uh, they, Jimmy Kimball had an interview last night with some people, a man on the street. You've seen these kind of interview goofy things. Mm-hmm. And he went up with a microphone and said, who's Joe Biden? And people said, I don't know, a terrorist? Oh, good God. I don't know. He's, you know, I, I, I refuse to answer. Uh, they had no answer for who the vice president of the United States is. They don't even know who he is. They don't even care. 
And that's what blows me away. And, and I'm, my passions come out because this is a big deal to me right now. I mean, this is a big deal. Um, hang on. Something happened. No problem. Okay. Okay. Still recording. So, um, so in that vein, though, it's um, I find it to be a very big deal that the political involvement of individuals has decreased to just it's just so little. There's such a small number of people that are running and making the decisions for such a large amount of people, and that majority doesn't really seem to care. As long as they're entertained, as long as they have their American Idol to vote for, as long as they mm-hmm. can, uh, you know, go to their job and make their money, which which if they've ever looked at their check, they should be appalled. That alone should be enough to get you to the ballot box. Uh, when you realize yeah. half of your money is missing out of that or a quarter of it or whatever your, whatever your financial bracket is. Mm-hmm. But when you get that check and you look at it and you go, man, I should be making this, but now I'm making that. And everything's more expensive. Uh, yeah, and everything's more expensive. And I mean, and, and all the way down to uh, there's just so many there. You know, there's a pothole on my street. Well, who's gonna fix it? Mm-hmm. Do you know the guy who can fix it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the thing is like we don't even know who the guy is that can fix it, or or the guys, or the people, or the committee, or the. And it's like we've got to, as people, I think, as my generation and below. And I'll just speak for my generation because that's the one that I live in and that's the one that I have most friends in and I can speak the most about is we got to wake up. We need to get a clue in the United States of America about what it means to be politically active, Mm -hmm. to have individual responsibility, to take ownership of the world that you live in, not to just passively let it take over you and let it happen to you. But instead of saying, oh, well, it's 7% sales tax, wonder why is it 7% sales tax? And wonder if you can't get that down. Or wonder if you couldn't change that. Or if you wonder if you couldn't redirect the monies. Where does that money go? Yeah. Where is all this even going? You know, and that's the thing is there's so many people that are just very passively, they just don't care. And I'm not saying everybody, but yeah. the numbers are there. And I mean, it's less than 1% of people voted in the, in the Georgia primary. Well, I, Y'all, what do you we're, expect? <laughs> we're running, we're picking the people that are running the nation. We're picking the people that are running the state with which we live in. We're picking the people that are sitting on the, the, the county seats that we live in. We have to make these decisions. We have to be informed about those decisions. That's the other piece, you know, is uh, it's not just going and, and, and saying I voted to get a sticker, but to actually know who you're voting for and why. Yeah. Um, so well, and it's, and you got on top of that, the people that don't even like they just if they do vote, it's just down a party line. Just go in or, and pull the ticket. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Or there'll be plenty of people that I, I I used to think, oh, I think the reason a lot of people don't vote is because they feel disillusioned that it's going to make a difference. Sure. Like you literally have more sway with American Idol vote than you do. Right. With <laughs> You're right. Political. But I, I think at some point it is just that it's like there's too many distractions, too many things that are more apparently worth watching than uh, what's going on we got to get back to it though you know it's um and you're right is is in the national scene in particular you think about your vote you think oh gosh it doesn't even matter you know and it and to some extent i can see that i can understand that yes if you're in a predominantly state it's going to go this way or that way that it may not matter that much but i'll say this is in the past presidential election we saw where that did very much so matter typical states that were going to go one way or the other didn't because that particular minority or majority of people rather didn't show up in that particular state so it does matter mm-hmm. um and the other thing is is that i would say is that the national 
the national scene is altogether different than that of the local scene. And okay. even if you're talking about the national elections, um, the the leaders are picked in the primaries, and they're picked for that <laughs> picked long before then. Uh, but they are picked in the primaries, and if people don't go vote in the primaries and in the runoffs, then when they go in and they just pull the straight you know Republican or pull the straight Democrat ticket. Um, the person, the real runoff was the, the determination of who that person was ever even going to be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we've got to back up and not just go get our, well, I voted for Barack Obama sticker, or, you know, because it was the first time to do that. It was a historical moment and I wanted to be cool and be a part of what was going on. We got to back up to the primaries and say, well, who are we putting in power over not just the, not even just presidential because the president is one branch of the government, you know, he's only he's only one very well. This president's very uh, it's a powerful position, but it does not control America. It it is yeah. a balance of powers amongst other other uh, branches of government. And so, anyways, all that to say this is that that's a big issue for me. Is mm-hmm. is I'm personally trying to get more involved in that world. Um, I've backed up and and I'm trying to get involved in certain. Uh, party committee meetings and these kind of things to try to make my own voice matter more when it comes to these type things Uh, because I don't want to just sit back and and let the world happen to me and for that matter I've now got children in the world I don't want to just sit around and let the world happen to them Um, I think our generation will be the first one that that had a had a less uh, America won't be as great as it was uh, to our kids going that way as it was to us when it was passed to us. In other words, I think we're going to pass a lesser America off to our children. Certainly uh, a more indebted one. Yeah, and financially, if you, were to just, if you just want to talk about that one thing, the financial aspects of it just blow my mind. You know, I just yeah. can't imagine that we're going to charge our children with all of these debts that they never even knew existed, and then they're going to wake up and have to be holding that bag. You know, and that, mm-hmm. that, should, that should bother people. Uh, yeah. Whether you have children or you don't, I mean, there should be that should motivate you to want to change something on some level, and so I, that's a big deal for me right now. Is I think that uh, people need to get politically involved in some way or shape or form. So absolutely, no I matter mean, what your party, you know. And I, I love the debate. I'm not here to say you need to be this one or that one. I just say get involved, do something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of my things is that the, these parties don't like what they're both focusing on such a narrow bandwidth of issues that I think yeah. most people don't realize that we actually agree on so many things. You couldn't and you, be kidding me. You, yeah. You, you couldn't be more right. You can't focus on like, no, that's so not important. Even within given parties, there's sometimes these fracturing points and it's like, come on guys, we agree on all these things. And, yeah. um, can a good, at least fix the things we do agree on. Can we start there? Exactly. <laughs> a good friend of mine, um, he, he he was explaining to me, he's very involved in, in a particular party. He actually was a chairman in Fulton County. Um, and he said to me, because I, I was just like, you know, we're never going to see see this all in the same way. you know. And he's like, well, it's not about that. And it's like you just said. He said, it's about where we agree and working together on those things. Because uh, he said, yeah, we'll never see eye to eye on everything. But where we can unite our voices and work together, we can make a massive change in that direction mm-hmm. uh, for where we do see things th- the same way. And 
so I just I would say no matter what your political view, political stamps, uh, get involved somewhere, do something, and make sure you vote. I think that's crucial. Is get out and vote. Um, even if you don't even know, get out in the get out in the habit of it. You know, go Google it all, look it up in advance, try and get some kind of perspective about what you're doing. Uh, but go vote, <laughs> go yeah. cast, make your voice matter. You know, so anyways. for sure. So, no, totally, and that's that's exactly why I uh, built NewRoll.org because I was like, I I just want to ignore political things. I'm like, let's just focus on each individual issue and break it down. Like facts, opinions, solutions. Can we start there? Absolutely. Because you can also use it to like take your political candidates, like put them all up there. Who who do you have to vote in your district? Put them up. Put all the how they voted on everything, and then let people talk about it. That's and, it. Like there that's you go. It. And then you get a conversation, and that's really what it's all about. Is it's there is no black and white when it comes to politics. You know, there's only history. <laughs> yeah, and that's subjective to whoever wins. And that's still not black and white. You are not kidding, my friend. It's still yeah. subjective. And, and it's still subjective to even if you even if you lost and you still want to see it your way, you're still going to see it your way. You know, and so that's it. It's, it's not a black and white thing, and but it is a matter of finding those spots where we can agree and, and moving forward, uh, moving our culture forward in those directions. So, uh, anyways. I'm with you there. Uh, anything else that uh, maybe just some things uh, within your community here that you think need a little more attention? You know, I mean, I could go on about some other things, but I think that those those two are probably my biggest ones right now um, is homelessness and then political involvement. I mean, I, I, I put a slash on that that says individual responsibility. Um, I think that that's something that as well in our culture we're slipping away from is the dependency on others. There's always an excuse or a reason and, and instead of just owning it and saying, well, I failed. You know, I didn't get right. an A on this test because I didn't study hard enough, not because the teacher was prejudiced because of that. You know, it's mm -hmm. like always in a reason. I think that we as a culture have to own that. You know, I, 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 I can't pay my bills. Well, whose fault is that? Yeah. It's mine. The core. Like, I've got to go get the money to pay my bills and I got to go work for it, right? You know, mm -hmm. I can't just go hop on a line somewhere and expect somebody else to take care of that for me. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that mentality, though, is not does not ring true nationwide or even even just locally. I don't think that that fully rings true. I think that people have we have that uh, we have very much so um, a mentality in general of that it's not my fault. I didn't. I can't control my destiny. I, I'm just, I'm just here, and yeah, this all happened to me. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I've uh, really been realizing is that you've you've got one way of looking at things, which is that oh, this is happening to me, mm -hmm. which is kind of reactive. Mm -hmm. But like you're saying, individuality, be proactive. All right, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. What do I want? How am I going to make it happen? It's your responsibility to make it happen. Yeah. You know, like if you want this out of the world, then you need to go get it and create that, you know, or create the, op or, you know, make the arrangements to achieve that. You know, mm -hmm. if I want to drive a Ferrari, then I'm going to have to make the money, save the money, be responsible enough to not spend it, not to go, you know, buy goofy things along the way, you know? So it's like, it's responsibility. It's up to me. If I want a Ferrari, then that's what I got to go do. I have to make the allotments in my life to make that occur. Um, whereas I think some people would just say, why Why don't you just give me the Ferrari? <laughs> yeah, you got one and I'm here. Yeah. 
You've got yeah. two and I need one, so give it to me. You know, mm-hmm. no, you go get your own. You got to work for it. It's hard. You know, it's not an easy thing. Exactly. Uh, the American dream can be achieved, but it's achieved through hard work. It's not handed to you. You don't just, you know, show up on our shore and then go, hey, here you go, American dream. Here's your house, your car, your cell phone, you know, your mm-hmm. all your food and energy is paid for. No, it's yeah. you got to go get it. You got to put in your your hard work and your individual you got to take responsibility for what you want to achieve and then go get it absolutely um, so anyways that that's that's that you know that's just a kind of a that's almost a global concept that i just wish that uh, if i could impart anything to people that are listening it's like just yeah man own your own world go for it and absolutely and don't let it just happen to you you know and so and and going back to your uh, your yeah, uh, history of leadership and stuff I, mm-hmm. I, i'm curious on your thoughts on this because what I've found is that a good leader, when, when you're leading other people, if someone fails in your team, you should first ask yourself, not, you know, oh, this person is mm-hmm. wrong for this, these reasons, but did I give them all the tools they mm-hmm. needed? Did I give them the proper instruction? Did How have I failed them? That's right. And it's I'm, a dual evaluation. That's right. Mm-hmm. Is you got to look at them and say, you know, did they, did they have, did they achieve? Did they do what they were set out to do? And, and then you have to ask the question, why? Was it my fault? Did I not give them the tools? Did I not make it uh, capable? Was it their fault? You know, like you have to you have to really look at, you know, did they not execute on what I asked them to do or whatever? But yes, you're right. It's, it's yeah. a dual-edged thing. And, and like they say, the shit travels up, you know, whenever you're leading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, that's kind of things that I've been looking for in, in uh, political leadership that I just haven't really been finding mm-hmm. is that, you know, are people willing to take the blame? You know, I, you, you hear it a lot in the uh, uh, pre-election process, but not so much afterward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always, oh, these people aren't working with me or that or that. It's like, okay, well, but for us, the citizens, you know, have you given us all the tools we need to help yeah. you accomplish what we all want to have happen? That's a big, that's a big one. Yeah. Good so, point. Um, okay, so kind of know where we're at in the present. Now mm-hmm. let's focus a little more on the future. Absolutely. Um, so, I guess first, um, what do you what do you see the next five years? I'm sure, especially as someone who has a family and, and, and children, you think about the future, particularly theirs. So, what do you see in the next five years happening? Uh, and it can be you know city or state or, or even country or planet, but. Um. Well, I'll give you, okay, I'll give you my goals, I guess. Uh, well, not so much goals. as like just your your honest guess Okay. what, what yeah, you see the world. Absolutely, the way I see the world in the next five years. Um, and then we're talking outside of basically like my own ambitions or like what my five-year plans are, but just like in general, what, yeah. what, where do I think things are going to be? Okay, that's yeah. a great question because um, I think this fits right perfect with what we're, what we're discussing. Um, I think in five years is we're going to go one of two directions. We're either going to go more towards what we're talking about, which is people are going to become people of character again. They're going to have things of individual responsibility. Morality is going to matter. Um, character is going to matter. Truth tell, truths versus lies will matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like the indiscretions we've had in our in our political leadership, you know, and then people just mull over it and go, ah, oh, that's right. It's just part of the culture now. It, we're either going to go one of two directions. We're going to move towards character. Or we're going to continue to move towards personality. 
I think we live in a day and age where America is moving towards personality. I think we vote off of personality based off their looks, their personality, their ability to charm, their ability to talk well, their ability to make you laugh or to smile or cry. Don't and you think it's been like that since JFK? Possibly. Yes. <laughs> I think there's definitely been elements of it. Absolutely. Entirely. Not just, not just from the president, but on all different political levels, you know. Mm. Um, and and I, I, I say we live in the American Idol generation you know where it's it it, whoever can sing the best can can look the best who can have the flashiest lights i'm gonna vote for them you know Mm -hmm. and and so i think that just in general our leadership whether that's the pastor of the church whether that's the sheriff of the of the town whether that's the principal of the school i think we're gonna either continue to move towards personality or we're gonna move towards character so I don't know where we're going to be in five years. I would love, love, love to think that America or think that our world is going to turn towards character. Um, I would say years ago, that's definitely what was definitive is people chose leadership based off of character. Um, yeah. You know, is, a, is, is the principal of the school, does he have a wife? Is he married? Does he cheat on all, with, with all the teachers? Well, if he does, he's fired, you know, but mm-hmm. nowadays, eh, well, maybe not, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Am I right? You know, it's like there well, was just those two teachers, and was it Louisiana that I had three some this. some student? It's like yeah. I was a student, yeah, yeah. What are they're, doing? And they're probably going to get their keep their job somehow, you know. And it's like, no, I mean, maybe hopefully not. Let's yeah. just say. But um, my point being is, is that you know, you you think about the indiscretions of like, well, on the national scene of like, well, Bill Clinton, you know, like that was a huge, a huge defining moment in the character of our nation. Uh, for us to be able to overlook that as a society, and I'm not saying that it should have gone one way or the other. I'm just saying if you, you know, if you are spending your time doing one thing and you're supposed to be a man of character, uh, leading a nation, then then you know where do you, as a person, where do you draw those lines? Um, and so I just think that I think that. If we keep moving towards personality, then we're going to continue to play into some of the things that are eroding the very fabric of what our 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 nation was built around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have certain uh, words that were in our constitution, and words that are in our pledge, and words that are um, written on our public buildings and on our monies, and all of these things that we're now moving away from. Um, and I don't know, you know, a lot of that is the word God. And, you know, we've talked about all this is that is I don't have a problem with someone who sees God from a uh, from an Islamic perspective or sees God from a Jewish perspective or sees God from a Christian perspective. But I do think God needs to be a part of the discussion again. Um, I think that, you know, we need to be one nation under God. You know, Um, I think that that is that element helps breed character is knowing that there's a higher power and believing in that very thing uh, and believing there's a standard that that higher power wants you to live by breeds character and the character again it's not the it's not a checklist of of did i do this did i do that it's the character of are you kind are you good do you tell the truth do you lie are you going to be a cheater are you going to steal from us you know all these kind of things and i think right now we we elect people um to position based a lot around personality uh, you know, that person can talk good, they can sing well, they can, you know, and so we're going to elect them into power and position. We even see this playing out on, on a political scene. You see it playing out. Well, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the was the uh, governor, governor of California. 
Um, you've got other, you know, you've got other personalities, TV personalities or uh, movie personalities or whatever. You've seen these people transition into politics. Is that, is <laughs> and, that not what Reagan was? And I'm not saying that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying, and for that matter, I mean, I, I don't think that, um, you know, Schwarzenegger did a terrible job as a governor. I thought he was actually a decent governor. I don't know what he lived in the state, so I can't really speak well about it. Um, but as far as like, I know what I know what he stood for, and I thought what he stood for was was by and large pretty solid stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say that you would see that with Reagan, absolutely. You would see that with uh, well, like you say, even with the, starting with JFK, just having televised uh, presidents, you know, and yeah. you start to see that, and so people pick personality over character. And I just hope that we can get back to a day. I don't know how that's to be done or exactly what that needs to look like. I just think that. Uh, maybe if anything, just keeping the conversation alive can can be part of it. But for my kids, I, I can say that I'm trying to instill within them character. Um, I'm teaching them what it means to to not lie and to not steal from people and to to be a person of integrity. Mm-hmm. So when you say yes, you mean yes, and when you say no, you mean no. Um, and to not be which is most convenient for this that's you know, right, for that scenario. That's right. If you say yes, then you better be there. You don't just decide that day. No, I don't feel like it. Well, you said you were going to be there, so you better damn be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I taught. I told my daughter the other day the word integrity. It, it's a um, it's a pottery term. Um, if you're familiar with how people make pots on a pottery wheel, you throw down a lump of clay, you shape the lump of clay, and then you begin to what's it's called drawing it up. You pull down into the middle and you draw up the 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 uh, the vase. And as you pull up on one side or the other, obviously the whole is it spinning in a circle. The whole thing comes up. Mm-hmm. Well, what they what they, what happens is a lot of times that the bottom of that the bottom of the base it's very hard to create the vase to make it look the same way on the outside as it is on the inside without having like a thick spot without having a thick spot that's right and that's what they call integrity is if you have a thick spot then you have false integrity and what happens is when you put those in the fire with those thick spots those will a lot of times crack so you have to have perfect integrity it has to look the same on the outside as it does on the inside in order to have a perfect integrity that's a good uh, analogy pot. and so yeah I, I broke that down for my daughter just because i was like you know that's what it means it means you're the same on the outside as you are on the inside and the vice versa is that if you you know whoever you are trying to portray to people good bad or ugly mm-hmm. make sure that that's who you are on the inside you know uh, and I think that those characteristics and, and characteristics in general are things that are starting to lose position in our in our culture, I think. Uh, it's not a, as an awarded thing. In other words, if um, uh, like who's the Martin Luther King of our day today? I don't know. You know, who is the Mother Teresa of today? I don't know. Who is the Jesus Christ of our day? I don't know. Or the the, you know, Mahatma Gandhi or the. Uh, Nelson Mandela, or these people that have been huge, definitive, definitive figures based off of their character. You know, yeah. who is that person in America today? You know, well, it's hard too because there's so much information about everybody that. So like, you're not kidding. Like, yeah. like you look at Gandhi, people think he's perfect, but mm-hmm. no, he's a very flawed person. He was a human being. That's right. That's yeah, right. But like, uh, would you even be able to elevate somebody to that status today without lying or withholding stuff? I don't know. Yeah, because you're not kidding. Because with all all the information movement, it's like even going back to that Clinton thing. It's like we probably only found out because there's just so much information moving around. I mean, people yeah. have the ability to, or more importantly, people just can't keep their mouth shut. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> yes, uh, but I, you know, that so that's a big thing is that. It, it, even though we don't have that model in our society today, and I think a lot of those models come from history too, you know, as people mm-hmm. looking back, and we could be 
living in a present day, you know, uh, um, the person may be out there, the next, the next Mother Teresa or whatever, but um, but we don't see them maybe now because we'll see that through the lens of history. But yeah. Uh, anyways, I think that in the future, I think we're going to go one of two directions, and I think that will be a, a huge determining factor of of um, of. I hate to always put things in terms of America, but but I am. I, I love my country, and I love where I'm from. I love this nation. I love what it's been. But I think that America is on a on a cusp over maybe the next five to ten years where we're going to go in one of two directions, and it's either we're going to continue to ascend as a country, and we're going to continue to grow and continue to have economic prosperity and be able to uh, provide, even for that matter, for others around the world, be out of that economic prosperity and out of uh, um, a nation that's being controlled and where we're having uh, checks and balances, or we're going to go further away, further away, further away to, um, well, but they smiled. It's all okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a far cry, obviously, but I'm just saying, you know, if you get so involved in a person's personality, it's amazing what what you can wash over with just with a personality. Just you know? being charismatic. Yeah. 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 It's like, golly, man, that guy... Like Justin Timberlake, I don't care what he does in his personal life. I, I mean, I just think he's the coolest guy in the world. <laughs> he's just got charisma. I've never met him as a person, but like, yeah. I just, I vote for him. Sure, Justin Timberlake for president. You know, like I'm joking here, but yeah. my point being Compa- is that there's Wait, so much you know charisma more? that it washes over all of the, you know, amount of sins, if you will, you know. So. And you know more about him than you do your local politicians. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that was a good point. Uh, so anyways, you know, it's, I didn't mean to take the huge, uh, political curveball here, but that's no. definitely something that's, it's, it burdens me is that I think that we've got to make some decisions about where we're going to go in the future. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think that's a big deal. And, and so hopefully people will, that'll resonate with somebody somewhere. For sure. <laughs> so, um, is there anything beyond the the two that you brought up earlier, homelessness and uh, political action, that you think we should be focusing on in the next five years? Um, While we're going into this <laughs> possible yeah, yeah. options, I think the um, you know the whole push that's been done for people to get out and vote. I think that that's something we need to focus on. I think that that one fundamental basic thing can lead to a whole variety of understanding. So like, even if it's just going and voting, like I said, just getting there, you don't even know who to vote for. You can walk into the thing and just pick someone at random. Well, you at least made your voice, you know, whether, whether you knew what yeah. you were saying, you said do you think something. That's, do you think that's really better than... I don't think that's not. the best idea by any stretch, but my point is, is that you got to get out and vote. You got to go do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and because as soon as you show up there, let's be honest with, let's be honest about it. When you do show up there, you're going to want to know who you're voting for, yeah. no matter who you are. You're going to pull out your cell phone in the booth and Google who's who. <laughs> Um, or you may skip over an issue and not vote on that one because you didn't understand it or whatever, you know. Like, I've done that. I've gone into things, and I'm like, I don't know who's running for school board. I, I You know, I should know this, but I don't, so I don't even vote on the matter. I'll go on to the next one, the one that I do know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but I think that just in general, I mean, you know, that's all I can say is I just think that, that if you had to put it onto one singular note about it all, I would say that that would be the one. Just get out and vote. Because uh, I think that that process like I say, leads people through, when you say, I'm going to go vote, you're, you're probably not going to just show up there 
and go in and pull a ticket. You're probably going to want to know what you're doing. We hope so. Yeah. And I would think that I would think just by you going to vote, you're you're going to investigate and learn. Like if you put it on your calendar, you say you make a point of it and you say, "All right, I'm going to go vote." Then somewhere along the process, whether it was just in discussion with your friends or your family or so you're going to de- make determinations over who that person might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that that's a a big thing that if we could, as a culture, put more emphasis on, uh, even though we hear, you know, every year the rock the vote and these kind of things, and there is a lot of emphasis on this stuff, uh, I just think that it could be even more. Um, For sure. So. All right. Well, let's end on a lighter note. Yes, and absolutely. Just simply... What are you what are you planning on for the next five years just personally sure man um, well basically you know if I had my my uh, if I had my if I could close my eyes and imagine whatever I wanted it to be um, I would say that I would close my eyes and see um, an organization project live love leading the forefront of the concept of living love doing things to help others which I think will help shape the fabric and the culture from the standpoint of if we can start to take our eyes off of me, what do I always need and want and look at other people, then we can, we would actually start to, to uh, want to help other people and want to do things for others. And so uh, with, with Project Live Love, I think that I would love to see it going uh, outside of Atlanta. We've actually got a little bit of strategy that we're working on, so it'll be some time before we're actually able to make it move. Uh, but we're trying to formalize some of the things we're doing in the Atlanta area and call it an Atlanta chapter mm-hmm. and with the intentions of being able to move this uh, potentially to other cities because I'd love to see the concept of live love start to take root in other areas. Uh, and of course, Atlanta being a launching pad for that. I think there's so many awesome things coming out of Atlanta right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as far as from the standpoint of solving political, or I mean, enough, excuse me, social issues, solving social issues, and well, some political issues, but primarily social issues. You know, we have... Uh, well, I mean, even just your project, what you're working on is, is huge. You know, it's right in, the, right in the mix of wanting to make change and bring people together and, and have discussion and, and do these things. Um, I think some of that comes because of our, because we had the social rights movement, that our civil rights movement that took place here. And we've just got a, we've got a Southern Baptist kind of mm-hmm. way about us. We've got, you know, these, these Southern uh, ways, but our city is becoming a launching pad for um, great ideas that are serving other people. And so I'd love to see Project Live Love help facilitate that in various cities. Um, and so that's that's really my, my, my five-year plan or five-year goal would be to see uh, the influence of Project Live Love begin to expand and, and really to see, uh, not for the sake of the organization growing, but for the sake of seeing the influence of how we're affecting the culture and seeing people uh, maybe turn and make a little bit of a change in their own thought process towards wanting to serve and help someone else in a re- very real way. Um, so... That's, Wonderful. That's my thought. All right. Well, uh, so in closing, let's just, if anyone wants to uh, come work with Project Live Love, is there a website or how, how, how do they yeah, go absolutely. about that? Everything that we've talked about is all on projectlivelove.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything from the 3 of a go program to Get Set to the Live Love events to where you can buy stickers, T-shirts, all everything I've mentioned, it's all on projectlivelove.com. Uh, and from that one, one one website, you'll be able to see the different things represented there and, and plug in. Uh, outside of that, you can always send me an email, drew at projectlivelove.com, 
or you can find me on Facebook, um, forward slash Drew Benton, I think, or maybe J Drew Benton, but uh, then I'm on Twitter, Drew Benton, and all that good stuff. So same thing with Project Live Love. We're on all that Facebook, Twitter, um, and you can find, again, all that stuff from our website as well. So, Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Drew. I really appreciate you spending the time to just give everyone a, a view into your world and your mind. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> so let's Thanks. see where it goes.